but not broken. With host Patrick Scroggins. As a U.S. Army attack helicopter pilot deployed in Iraq, Patrick faced a devastating crash, which resulted in him dying, losing a leg, and a slew of broken bones. Patrick's story of rehabilitation has helped others to overcome their own obstacles. Each week, Patrick recounts stories of inspiration and interviews guests who have overcome remarkable obstacles. This is Wounded But Not Broken with your host, Patrick Scroggins. everyone welcome uh yet to another great monday night hope everybody uh, had a good weekend and was safe and healthy uh, we're here again it's been what about two weeks since i've been on uh just been busy with life and um just appreciate everybody tuning in and all the feedback we're getting um tonight i got a very good friend of mine on uh master retired master sergeant james eagleman james sir i'm here all right yeah so uh i think james has a, a very compelling story that uh, kind of fits in uh, kind of especially with uh, nowadays and kind of uh, the conflicts we've been through. So James is, uh, uh, he was a sniper and I'm going to let him tell more of it. I'm just kind of, kind of over, over seeing it. And he, he was a sniper instructor in the military and he was a sniper instructor for the soda sniper schools for the people that don't know what that is. That is the uh, special operations uh, snipers course. But James, so let's just start out let's, with, you know, at, uh, how long did you spend in the military and when did you join? So I uh, joined in 1989. I actually joined at 23. I was a late start, but uh, I've been in, I, well, I've been in, I did 26 years, retired, as, like you said, as an E8, as Master Sergeant, um, but had some interesting jobs. I was lucky enough to transfer around a lot and probably spent 90%, if not high 80s of my my career overseas um really didn't do a whole lot of stateside assignments i just been traveling around the world doing things for the military gotcha so when you joined what did you join as an infantryman i did i was uh 11 bravo right over here at fort benning as a matter of fact i'm 45 minutes from fort benning right now we're down here in eufaula alabama where we're, where our company's at uh so i go there quite often but yes i did um straight in the infantry and uh, after graduating infantry school, uh, first assignment was actually the DMZ in South Korea. I was uh, first of the 506 parachute infantry up there, and then six months later to JSA, Joint Security Area, because I was one of the tall guys, you know. So And I yeah. had a nice haircut. Yeah, I did yep. have a nice haircut. You've always had that flat top, huh? Roger that. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, they put all the big guys up on the on the DMZ, right? So. They did, and I was QRF all the time, so, you know, we saw a lot of the crazy stuff up there, everything from the frogmen that got killed. We were over there when the subs uh, broke the fins on the plastic subs and got got, uh, got beached over from the North Koreans, and so we got to start, see a lot of infantry, interesting things over there in North Korea. Other than sitting there at night on top of the water tower hearing your name called over to loudspeaker because somebody leaked your information to North Korea, that was always fun. <laughs> I bet, I bet, and that you know there there was there was some times where the uh, the relations, well, I guess they still aren't that good, but I mean they were it was pretty sketchy, right? There was uh, they used to drop leaflets. They they send up these balloons and they drop leaflets, and we were supposed to turn them in, um, and most people did, but they actually had little pathways to get through the DML, the decimation line through the minefields. 
Um, and I believe, don't quote me on the time frame, but about 1991, there was a young soldier who did go over, and they took a lot of photos with him with these pretty North Korean girls, and they ended up finding floating down the river, you know, months later after they extracted what he got up. He used the, he used the E-4, so he didn't have a whole lot of information, but, you know, that was kind of the, the game back then. Wow, yeah. Dang, that's crazy. So you that was your first that was your first uh, duty assignment. Where'd you go from there? Uh, from there, reception at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, 101st Airborne, and uh, I was lucky enough that I had got my expert infantry badge at Warrior Base in South Korea. So I, as soon as I got back out of out of reception, recon platoon was out there searching. So they saw that I was a six foot guy, you know, in decent shape. And um, they saw I had an EIB, so they came up to me and said, how'd you like to drop for recon? So I did, and then, you know, it was nothing to it. Just basically had to run the aerosol obstacle course four times back-to-back, <laughs> which is fun. But regardless, my point is, is I got into recon platoon, and I was a regular recon scout for maybe a year. And then uh, they had an opening, and uh, I was technically and tactically proficient, and they sent me to sniper school. So, um, actually, Lieutenant Colonel, Petraeus, Lieutenant Colonel Petraeus was there. Yeah, wow. Sergeant Major Purdy, too, by the way, if anybody knows Sergeant Major Purdy. He was our battalion Sergeant Major. Yeah, uh, wow. Delta guy. So, but anyway, long story short, went through sniper school. Um, I was lucky enough to get honor graduate and uh, best shot out of the course. Uh, came back and did that for a while over at 101st. I was a rock son, third of the 187 Scout Sniper Platoon. I'm and, sorry. Uh, yeah, that's all good. <laughs> rock son, an umbrella, right? <laughs> rock sons, they get a lot of they get a lot of stuff. Uh, but you know, everybody at 101st uh, gives that all, you know all they give the 502nd slack. The one, the 327 gets slack. Yeah, right, that's right. what it is. Yeah. But so for the let's yeah back back up a little bit. So for people that don't know sniper school what it entails where it's at do you want to go over some of that so yeah so the regular army sniper course is at fort benning georgia um and has grown from a three five seven week course over you know uh over years because ttps training tactics and practices change all the time in the world so we got to update constantly um really uh, you begin you begin at the uh, ground week where you're basically learning how to build your ghillie suit you learn how to Shoot the rifle the way you're supposed to. They start you off on these little 22 trainers and then get you into the 308 CM24s with a Leopold M3 Alpha Mark IV back then. Um, and then you got your range weeks. You got your your uh, patrolling and you got your uh, counter sniper tactics, radio operations. You're going to learn how to do uh, stalking where you got to basically stalk 300, 400 meters and without getting busted by the instructors, they're looking for grass moving and branches. We call that tall salad. Uh, take three shots with a blank, with no blank adapter, so the, the muzzle flash comes out of the barrel, and they're trying to find you, and then you got to identify a number that they hold up near their shoulder to make sure you're truly shooting towards them. So what they're trying to do is make sure that you're technically and tactically proficient to be able to get to what's called an FFP or final firing position. Um, and make a shot without getting busted. So the, the stalking phase is what really gets people in sniper school. The rest of it, the Kins games, keeping memory, all the other stuff is really, you know, there's nothing to it. But uh, 
stalking really gets everybody. Yeah, it's that super that super attention to detail uh, thing. You got to pay attention to every detail, right? Well, then it's just being a sneaky, you know what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so you graduate sniper school, undergraduate, top of the class, best shot, and then you went where? Then I was still at 101st, and then uh, we uh, went a couple places. We did JTF, Joint Task Force Drug Enforcement, um, over in South America. Um, everybody had just come back from Kuwait at that time. Uh, they were there at the Gulf War time frame. Um, from after that, when I left there, I was put at what's called SODIC, which is, and I was just going to help you out, it's Special Operations Target Interdiction Course. They have changed it now. It's called Special Forces Sniper Course. So I went through the, the SODIC course, and I got undergraduate from that too. So it was kind of sort of a natural. Um, and then uh, from there, they were like, you probably need to stay here a little bit. And I did. So I, I actually instructed there, and I enjoyed it because I was just really good at it. I could see things a little bit different than other folks when it came to Mirage and rain angle and all this stuff. I was kind of an out-of-the-box kind of guy. Um, as you probably know from knowing me as well as you do, I ain't, I ain't too bright. And, <laughs> I ain't the brightest bulb on a Christmas tree, but I think outside the box. So, <laughs> Well, you know, when, I, when, when we talk, when we're someplace together and I introduce you to somebody, I always introduce you as you've forgotten more about shooting than I'll ever know. And I consider myself a pretty good shot. Uh, right. But there's – there's a lot more to shooting than pulling that trigger. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but, um, Roger. but yeah, so how, so how long were you at the, the soda school? Uh, almost two years. And, uh, we did get pulled for a couple quick uh, little trips overseas and then got uh, brought back. It was called the sniper locker. It was the old correctional facility in Fort Campbell. It's an old, uh, they used to use it for, uh, bad soldiers back in the day that they would use to tr kind of correct them kind of think of it as a not a not a jail but more of a um, uh, a correctional facility so and then the range 16 is where we taught our classes as far as the shooting goes there in fort campbell uh, yep. just off range road so i know you know that but yep back side of the air assault course there you go yeah so so you know when what kind of what kind of soldiers came through that course uh, almost everybody that came through was a long tabber. Um, and for you guys not that don't know what that means, a uh, special forces guy, they did have a few JTACs come through. Um, there were some Canadians that came through. Very, very limited would you get some SEALs come through, but uh, majority of them were recon guys, LERS, long-range surveillance, uh, and special operations but we would we would work with some of the foreign uh, snipers as well, you know, NATO, of course. So, yeah, and so just just not to jump ahead too much, but so sure. that how how much different is your technique of teaching now civilians as it was teaching military? You know, I was lucky enough that when I taught, everybody in the, in that class was an E six or above, so there were. They were fairly professional individuals, right? Um, and the majority of the people that I work with in the civilian world, they're, they're kind of they're kind of fitting that. So I've seen guys come in that you know they're they're 18 Bravos, Deltas, Echoes, Charlies, whatever they are, uh, E6s and E7s that we go through the course, and then some regular infantry guys, and then some worse guys. But most of those folks to get to that point are are 
you know, they're pretty well groomed and behaved folks. So you don't get a bunch of, you know, people in there that don't want to be near like infantry school and stuff like that, where you got to constantly yell at them. You treat them like a professional. And you do right. And I, yeah, and I guess I guess that I mean with any any specialty course, sniper course, or anything like that. I mean, I guess you your people are there because they want to be there, right? They're not. Um, yes. You know, it, a lot of guys use that. A lot of people use that uh, common term. I just joined the military just for the college money or whatever. And I know for you and I, we joined it because we wanted to serve the country and we wanted to do our part. Um, and and I think that's you know for the most part of people, I think that's what they do. But there is always the ones that cause the trouble. So I guess. You know, yeah. they wouldn't probably be at sniper school, but um, yeah. So from there, from there, where did you go? Uh, from there, I went back overseas again. Um, for some reason, they liked sending me to Korea. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back over to Korea. It was more of a jumping point um, for me because uh, I would head over to the Philippine Islands once in a while. They had a place called uh, Zamboanga. Um, and down in the, the Mindanao area, you have a Busayaf and the MPA, which are little terrorist organizations in the Philippine Islands. Um, mostly, I ever did there was Overwatch. Um, everybody else took care of business. Um, and then we did South America a couple times, and then North Africa, of course. But uh, yeah, I've actually did four tours in South Korea. So uh, wow! Again, normally, normally, it was a jumping point. So. Dang, I didn't know that, but um, <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry for me. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of do. What's uh, so? Yeah, you went to Iraq too, right? Yeah. yeah. So who were you with when you went to Iraq? Uh, my last time in Iraq, uh, of course, I was with 101st, but my last time was I was a external mitt. Um, yeah. So. Before they were internal mitts, which is a military transition team, they started off with external mitts. And that was a miserable 15 months because we did what's called left seat, right seat. You know what that is. You got the incoming unit. And they just weren't well trained and or they weren't well meshed. Because when they started doing internal mitts, the internal mitts, they kind of, and I don't mean this to be mean, a lot of them were the misfits of the battalions and brigades, so they kind of threw them in there to get get rid of them and send them out uh, because you'd have, like, a major or captain, uh, and then you would have a uh, S4, you'd have an S1, you'd have an S2, you'd have a radio operator, you'd have a couple combat arms guys. So what they did is they make these teams, and these teams would go and live with the Iraq Army. Uh, depends if it was a battalion, brigade, or division, and then they would help train them to run their army similar to ours. Uh, when I was there, I was working with two sergeant majors because I was in a sergeant major position, um, and they were both former Republican Guard, but uh, I could tell you stories about that, but you know that you know, they were just absolutely worthless. Oh, man. Yeah, I can say only in Iraq. <laughs> you couldn't even teach them guys how to do jumping jacks, man. That was the. That was like. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It was like that was like comedy hour trying to teach them how to do jumping jacks. It took us like five months. I I'm not joking to get a major to learn how to read a grid. And we're trying to teach them how to do maps. I mean. Yeah. And I asked my Sergeant Major, I know we're ahead of the game on this. I said, look, Sergeant Major, of course I have my turf with me, my interpreter. I said, I said, why don't you guys try? 
he says, you know what? We loved it when Saddam was in power because we were told what to do, when to do it, and we didn't have to take any initiative. And he said, by the way, I'm going to take my nap now. I'm like, you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah. That's what it no, and that, that's, that's, that's the mentality. That's how that whole country operated. That, I mean, Saddam told everybody. I mean, that's why everybody would take their gas, their propane tanks out. They'd sit them by the road. They'd, bring, they'd take them, bring the new ones. I mean, you know, everything was relied on the government, which kind of sounds crazy because that's kind of the way we're trying to go now. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. You I mean, say stupid is and stupid does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I think, I think uh, you know, there's a lot of controversy about the whole Iraq thing, whether it should have been there or shouldn't have been there. I mean, everybody has their own opinions. And, uh, you know, I'll leave everybody's opinions to them. And uh, it is what it is, you know, whether you agreed with them or not. You know, if you're an American soldier and you're, you're, you put on that uniform and you're going to go fight for this country, you're going to do what the country asks of you. So, yeah, in my world, uh, again, I always joke around with my students. They're like, oh, you were a sniper. I'm like, look, let's just not call me a sniper. I like to call myself a problem solver. I solve problems that are permanently solvable. So <laughs> I used to kind of get a kick out of my, my civilians because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm like, look, everybody's a sniper. The kid in the basement on Call of Duty is a sniper, right? So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I, but I've held a lot of different jobs. I was a first sergeant. I was operations sergeant major at the National Training Center in TC. I was uh, Lizard 40. I did that for about a year. Um, a really good job. As you can probably know, you know this, I love teaching, right? So oh, yeah. Right before, uh, actually, right when I came back from my last time overseas in Iraq, I was 2009. I was there from seven to nine, and at 15 months because of that right seat, left seat, FUBAR, um, I got stationed at Michigan Tech University. Hey, James, real quick, just yeah, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Yeah. We're going to take a quick commercial break, a word from our sponsors, and we'll pick up this story right when we get back. Roger. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. 
check us out at www.dallascorp.com. Attention, all U.S. veterans. You have served this country with honor and pride. So why is it so difficult to receive the benefits you deserve? Filing a VA claim is complicated. It's cumbersome and time-consuming. Many veterans have a problem identifying what conditions they should apply for. VDAC, Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is an online application that greatly assists you with filling out your application and identifying the disabilities that you're entitled to. The VDAC process takes about 15 to 30 minutes from start to finish. The entire process is simple and easy to use. The software automatically cross-references the VA database to determine what presumptive conditions you are entitled to as well as any secondary conditions. Once done, a fully completed VA form is generated with supporting material. To find out more, go to nifv.org and click on the VDAC button. Again, the website is nifv.org and click on VDAC. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, here with James Engelman uh, talking about his career as a sniper in the U.S. Army. So, James, you were talking about you were you got a special assignment at Michigan State or something? Yeah, Michigan Tech University teaching Army ROTC, which was a pretty cool assignment because I, I was able to literally see how our officers were formed. And I had a huge influence on a bunch of officers. We did about 73 cadets a year. Um, so we would train them for four years. And then in their third year, they would go to LDAC, which is a leader development and a sessioning course, uh, where we would take them to Fort Lewis, Washington. Now, I was the uh, regimental sergeant major there. Now, again, when I keep telling you I was sergeant major, I was an E8, but in those positions. Um, and then uh, I had about 434 cadets that, I was in charge of, not directly, I had other people that worked for me, but what would they do is they get assessed during that third year, and then after that, they get, you know, when they come back, that helps decide whether they get active duty, uh, whether they're going to go branch of choice and all that. So, um, But anyway, I got to really see him grow. I was lucky enough that my partner, Jim Spence, was a first group uh, lieutenant colonel uh, from first special forces group, so, so Jim was like-minded. Um, and I got to train him a lot in long-range shooting, but uh, he was a big uh, precision rifle guy, and we, we, had, we had a lot of fun up there. But that was a great assignment. The reason I'm even bringing it up is because I teach now, my company, um, I enjoyed the teaching, and that was a great transition from the military because you're talking Michigan's Upper Peninsula where there's no military anywhere. So I was dealing 100% with civilians. Jim was a lieutenant colonel. I had a captain and a major that worked for him and I. And then we had an E7 and um, for a short time an E6. But my point is, is that was it. There was a recruiting battalion not far away. But yeah, no, so that's we, cool. We crazy things up there that nobody would ever think you could do in ROTC. <laughs> so, yeah, but that's, that's, that's cool. I didn't know that about you. So when you... Uh, a lot of people don't know, and because uh, so I just want to clear this up because you know I'm passionate about long range shooting and and every yeah. you know everything. I mean, so a lot of people don't understand the whole sniper rule. Everybody thinks the sniper is just just a, a trigger puller, and that's just not the case. The the best shooter is always the spotter. Am I wrong? Always, always. We got a joke in the sniper world: any monkey can pull the trigger. The spotter is the intelligent one. Um, right. It's mean. It's true because if you can't read the wind. 
if you can't watch bullet trace, if you can't assess station pressure, temperature, altitude, angle, spin drift, Coriolis, vertical etovis, calculate it, then no one's going to make a shot at long range. Um, and let me clarify, long range begins at 625 yards because that's where Earth-based effects can be dialed out from like a quarter minute or a tenth mil turret. They do happen immediately, but you can't get rid of them with that turret until about 625 yards. So. I just kind of want to throw that out there, but the good spotter, which is the most experienced sniper, is the one who's literally reading wind and telling the, the trigger puller, hey, hold this many mils for this many minutes. Now, I'm a minute guy. I grew up on mills, of course, milliridium, but I've just really fallen in love with minutes, MOAs, since I've become a civilian. So. Right. And so there's people listening may not know what a minute is. Minute, it's a minute of angle, so it's an angular angular yeah. measurement, and you can explain it way better than me. And then yeah, mills. Basically, is, yeah, yeah. If you take a ahead. 360 degree circle and you take one degree of that circle and one sixtieth of that degree, that's a minute of angle. Uh, true MOA means that one minute equals 1.047 inches of impact change at 100 yards. Um, and it just grows and grows and grows the further you get out. I like to tell people, just think of shooter MOA when you're holding wind. A minute equals one inch of impact at 200 yards. I'm sorry, <laughs> one minute at 100 yards, two inches at 200 yards, three inches at 300 yards, one minute equals five inches at 500 yards. The, the bottom line nowadays, you're not really doing math in the field. The ballistic range finders that are out there, they calculate everything. They just make it really dummy proof. We used to right. take me four. It's to make a calculated shot takes 30 seconds. Right. Yeah. I mean, with technology, I mean, everything just gets more efficient. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> excuse me, you still have to know how to do that pencil and paper. Um, you do because equipment fails, batteries die. And that's why we yep. teach the way we do. And I tell yep. all my clients this, long range comes down to two things at this point. With the, with all the ballistic range finders like the SIG Kilo 10K and 8K out there uh, and the Vortex 35,000, it comes down to wind and flight time. Why is flight time important? Because when we're hunting, I'm a, I, I run a hunting school, not a target shooting school. I need to know how long that bullet's in the air where it hits max ordinate, the highest portion of the parabolic curve, because if I'm shooting an animal at 1,000 yards, I know that bullet's 1.4 seconds to get there. I need to make sure it's feeding so it doesn't walk in that 1.4 seconds. Does that make sense? And, and I know well, it does to me, but yeah. 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 I, I think mean, so basically, 600 yards, it's only 0.6 seconds, so not a big deal. Right. So basically, I think uh, what you're trying to say is, is the flight time because you want the bullet to have the maximum amount of energy at that because at a certain energy you're not going to take an animal because it's not really ethical basically yeah and i study more on and teach more on retained velocity energy is super important but without the retained velocity for the bullet to function penetrate three to five inches through bone and muscle get in the thoracic cavity of the animal and mushroom and cause a large temporary wound cavity, energy doesn't exist. So what I do is I train my students with a lead core bullet and copper jacket, we call that cup and core, that you need at least 1,600 feet per second left on impact when that bullet strikes the animal. Because I always get the question, how far can I kill with my seven rem mag? And I'm going to say simple. Run a ballistic program, find 1,600 feet per second retained velocity at the elevation and station pressure and temperature you're going to be hunting at because that all matters. Remember, the higher you go in elevation, the thinner the air gets, so you got more velocity, more retained velocity. So that's why I always tell clients all the time, run a ballistic program. Um, 
here's the funny part, and you're going to like this, Matt. So the SIG uh, Sawyer guys came to my class two years ago, and everything I taught them, they put in this new rangefinder called the SIG 8K and 10K. What's cool about it is when you range the target, it says, guess what? You have 1,644 feet per second left hit nose. And it tells oh, wow. you there's no more guessing. There's no more guessing. It t- it I don't want that happen to James. I don't have that rangefinder yet. I guess you need to get one, my friend. We'll have to <laughs> yeah, what are we thinking? Do you hook a brother up? <laughs> yeah. All right, Abe, we're going to get into your, your shooting school in just a second. But, so in your military yeah. career, what, what's the best what's the best shot that you think you made? Ooh, that's a question I get asked all the time, and I normally don't talk about it, but since it's you, um, um, just basically it was a one-mile shot in the rain. It's about what? 1,762 yards in the rain. What caliber? It was a 338 Lapool. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty I, good shot. I've never, I've never told you that before because I, I normally don't talk about that stuff. So. Yeah, no, you're a pretty humble guy. That's uh, that's okay. We'll bring that out of you tonight. I so, do this all the time. My clients here on my level two, we're shooting out to 1776 every week. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So they're really they you know I'm proficient at it and I was in the military too because I can read wind I can read wind really well and that's one thing I will not hold back on and I'm not bragging I read wind excellent and there's not a lot of folks that can say that um, and it's all about wind because you know everything else is easy right the rangefinders yep. ballistic programs applied ballistics it calculates all earth and secondary effects but if you can't read wind none of this is going to work for you. No, that's that's absolutely right. And seventeen hundred yards, the wind's blowing in about five or six different directions. Yeah, and you're also looking at uh, one point. Uh, what is it? I'm sorry, two point two seconds of flight time, almost three seconds of flight time. That's yeah. a long time for that bullet to be in the air. And you got a max sword of like thirty four feet. That's how high up that bullet's going above what you're looking at, what we call line of sight. Yeah. So there's a lot that goes on to make that kind of a shot. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So um, in your in your military time, what was your what was your favorite deployment? I would probably say none of them. <laughs> um, uh, I would probably say JTF when we did the Columbia thing. It was it was interesting. Um, uh, the after work time was interesting, and um, it was just a it was a, a real world mission. Uh, you got the FARC over there and drug enforcement stuff over there. Um, we were mostly doing JTF over there with the DEA, but that was uh, that was a pretty that was a, that was an eye opener to to me what was going on in South America. Um, yeah, people don't understand was, how people don't understand how bad South America is. It's it's bad. Well, what's worse than that is you already know is North Africa, so you know the deal. Well, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, South America, the FARC is something to be. Oh. Here's a funny part. I'm gonna I want to throw this out there. I was teaching at Gunworks. I know we're not into my teaching. Right when I retired from the Army, I worked for Gunworks for almost two years. There was a guy that came to my class, and I, I, his name sounded familiar. At the end of the class, he come up to me, and he says, you know, I, you, you, you taught the best school I've ever been to. And he goes, I want to give you a book. Five years and change, it was him. He was captured by the FARC. He was held in captivity for five years. He has chain scars on his body. It was him. He was the uh, old, uh, I believe he was a CIA op, 
or a pilot for them, and he had got captured by the FARC for, and for five years. Uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I, w- I definitely wouldn't want to be, be that guy. I mean, in the Christmas. They're brutal. Well, the down there. he was still sane. I mean, you know, he went through the class, did everything right. We had a great conversation. We went to dinner, you know, so, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. But, well, sorry. All right, man. So we're going to take, yeah. We're going to take another break, work from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to hear about James after his retirement, what he's doing now, and uh, how much he does for our veterans. We'll be right back. Roger. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Attention, looking for semi-drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. VDAC an online application that helps veterans research and file for their VA disabilities. Empowering the veteran to take full control of your claim. Find out more by going to our website, nifv.org, and clicking on the VDAC button. Once again, our website is nifv.org, and click on VDAC. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. Hey everybody, welcome back. Here again with uh, James Eagleman. He just talked about uh, when he retired, he went to work for Gunworks, uh, teaching their long range at their long-range university. James, you can pick it up from there. Yeah, so in 2015, I had three months saved up of terminal leave, so I was working for Gunworks while on active duty still, and then um, um, I... Uh, was actually they were trying to hire me at best of the west and gunworks and i decided to go with gunworks which i found it to be a much better company um it, nothing bad on the other company just i didn't i didn't mesh well with the people that worked there um i taught there for about almost two years i revamped their curriculum made them a pretty good school and they're doing really well uh and met quite a few really interesting people there so and uh, including Pat. <laughs> uh, but what I really enjoyed about Gunworks is it helped me transition into the civilian world for the, the teaching and training, other than my ROTC gig that I did, uh, which really helped me out. But when I left Gunworks, um, 
Wayne Lafiere uh, over at the NRA had found out I quit, and he wanted to hire me uh, to take over the NRA Whittington Center. And it just so happens that there's a guy named Mark Simpson who was one of my students at Converse. And Mark had just sold his car dealership down in Palm Beach, and he bought a 1,000-acre ranch here in Ufala, Alabama. Um, and he was building a bunch of stuff on it. He just fell in love with long range. He told me to come take a look at it. So I'm like, well, I just left gun works. I'm heading to home, New Mexico. I said, why not? So I come here, and then Mark goes, well, would you ever think about starting your own business? I'm like, not really. I said, you know, as an as a old crusty first sergeant, I'm kind of tired of being in charge all the time. <laughs> I'd like to just relax and be a worker. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, you do what you want to do. You teach when you want to teach, you know, whatever. And so we decided to go into business. And that's how we started Barber Creek Long Range Shooting and Hunting School. Um, I was able to take a lot of stuff that I learned in the military, wet pack testing, wound cavity production, uh, all my shooting skills and wind reading skills, and I was able to convert it over to civilian use. So what I do now is I teach a hunting school. It is long range. Uh, but we cover shot placement for the proper terminal performance, hydrodynamic shock. We cover uh, how to run the ballistic rangefinders, how to use all the gear. We build guns, of course. But what I really harp on is when, just like we've been saying. Um, and and I'll, I'll kind of fall back into my military career. So back in my day when I was a young problem solver, I got tired of second shot hits. So let's be realistic. The majority of the snipers that are taking long shots are hitting them on the second shot because they really can't read wind. Hence, they came up with the tremor and the horse vision style reticle uh, to be able to see your impacts and autocorrect. So, when I really studied the mirage, I mean, every chance I got. And then when it rained, I studied the angle of the rain, the mass of the rain. And I was able to come up with those two techniques to read mirage to where. Here's the best part. Who cares what I can do? It's can I teach my students? My students are learning Mirage down to and under one mile an hour wind speeds, which is unheard of in the long range shooting world. Um, and, uh, you know, when I'm out here training these guys in 16, 18 mile an hour winds, we're not using Mirage, of course, at that point. We're using rain angle if it's raining and we're using the wind meter. They're hitting that, that deer sized target at least within two or three shots at 1,647 yards with a Creedmoor, by the way, 6.5 Creedmoor, which gets the snot kicked out of it in the wind. Um, and that's yeah. just with them them calling the wind. I'm just verifying for them. You know, there's a lot more that goes into it, terrain, because we got these valleys, you know, over here and some uh, ridge lines and all that. So, But I teach them how to use it to their advantage. But if it's 1,000 yards and under, it's it's there's nothing to it. I mean – the Creed no. at one point, yeah, at one point four seven seconds of flight time, it gets there pretty quick. It does get the crap kicked out of it in the wind, but it's completely controllable, and you know that. So, yeah, I mean, I know, you know, I've shot with you a lot, and you've taught me a lot, and you know, and that's one thing I think you always continue to learn, and that's why I love long range shooting so much. It's because it's challenging. It's kind of like golf. You'll go out one yeah. day, and you know, you might be spot on, but you have your bad days. But it's uh, it's just a it's a challenging, fun, relaxing thing for me to do. And I know you've taught me so much. We've shot a lot together and yeah. I, I've, I've never met a better instructor than you. And um, I yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome what you all have set up there. I mean, so uh, real quick, Bar the Barber Creek, 
uh, Mark is a great guy. James is a great guy. They, uh, they, I have a, a Barber Creek rifle that they custom built for me. Um, so I got them involved with uh, Wounded Warrior Outdoors, and we've done uh, every year Wounded Warrior Outdoors has this big deal in Florida where they have uh, a bunch of wounded guys come down and they have sponsors of teams. They put these guys together for teams. And James and I were usually the instructors for the long range shooting. And um, so they put together these teams and they have this big two day competition. It's awesome. And so I know Barber Creek has gotten really involved with when we're outdoors and, and doing stuff. And for that, I thank you all. Um, that's awesome that you do that. Um, oh, there are brothers, but, man. We take care of our brothers. Yeah, for sure. And even I, you just, the Marines, even the Marines, we take care of them. <laughs> You even uh, you even just had a group down down at uh, yeah. Alabama, right? Yeah, literally last week, Matt M- Matt Amos brought um, a bunch of WWO uh, guys down here, uh, ten of them actually, um, and we went through to level one. They had a blast. We did get one golf ball hit at a thousand yards. That was good. Uh, you know what the funny part was? That was the one civilian in class he got the golf ball. The soldiers and Marines didn't. So. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, well, because yeah, you, you know that you know why that is, right? Marcus wanted it so bad. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. because they're all they're all arrogant and they think they know everything. Oh, they weren't <laughs> after day two. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know it truly is. So you know, if anybody's listening, they and you're, you know, even if you feel like you're a good long range shooter, look up Barber Creek and go to their school because I guarantee you, you will learn something. I guarantee you, you will come out a better shooter, uh, more knowledgeable, more confident. Um, you know, James just said, you know, it's pretty easy under a thousand yards, and that's true. It's a thousand yards is really we call it a chip shot, but you know, beyond a thousand, things start compounding pretty quickly. Um, yeah, with the wind, with the wind time. and everything. So, yeah, yeah. And a lot so, of guys don't realize that. Yeah, a lot of guys and gals don't realize that when when you're hitting a a max ordinate. In other words, when that bullet goes up in the air, eight plus feet it's getting the most wind shear against it. Now imagine a 1,700-yard shot where you're at 34 feet above line of sight, which your scope's looking at. That bullet's getting a lot of wind up there. So in those kind of shots, now let's be realistic, those aren't hunting shots for most people, just nuts like me. But for most people, that 1,011, maybe 1,200 max, that's that's doable with the right caliber, right? High ballistic coefficient and a you know heavy to caliber gun then you're going to be fine with seven red mag 28 nozzle or stuff like that um you know creedmoor is not designed for that of course but a lot of that comes into play uh, and that's why i was going to tell you about that new rangefinder like i said that we've been running it literally calculates all secondary and earth-based effects it's got applied ballistics engine inside of it it's got a compass inside of it it does much more i just got to really get you over to one i, I can go on and on about that rangefinder so yeah you and I could sit here and talk about this for two and a half, three hours. Yeah. But yeah. 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 What are these guys talking about? But uh, yeah, no. Anybody listening, though, I you know, again, if you're if you're a, if you're a shooter and you like you like that stuff, and or even if you want to just learn and just you know something different, and make yourself. I would I would encourage you, James. Tell them how to how to get to your your website and everything. How to how it how it works. Sure, it's uh, www.barbercreek.com. That's B-A-R-B-O-U-R, Creek, or during the weekdays, 334-845-0000. We teach uh, all year round. We got an air-conditioned and a heated shoot house for the level one. 
we have food and lodging. We got phenomenal lodging and great meals when you come here. We got steak dinners. I mean, we call it the Barber Creek Experience because it's not just a shooting school. It's more like a vacation. And you'll meet a lot of like-minded people. You'll meet, there'll be outfitters in the class. There'll be surgeons in the class. There'll be pilots in the class. There'll be soldiers. There'll be regular Joes in the class. You won't even know who's sitting next to you. Hell, Bill Koch was in my class from the Koch brothers, you know, and I get people like that that come to my school. Um, but, it, well, he didn't come to my school. I did a mobile, so down in Pine Creek. But my point is uh, we get all kinds of people that you don't even know who's going to be sitting next to you in the class. You just meet a lot of really good, like-minded people that love to hunt, love to shoot, and that's what we provide at Barber Creek. Right. And you have the option to building, having your own rifle built uh, to your specs and, you know, after you learn, yeah. learn about it. But. I design the guns. I don't build them, and I stay out of the sales of them because I don't want to skew my school. I tell clients all the time I'm not here to sell you a gun. That's my partner, Mark. He used to sell cars. But <laughs> because I don't want you thinking you're going to come here. And that's the reason I quit Gunworks, right? Everybody wants to know, why did you quit Gunworks? Because Aaron wanted me to sell guns, guns, guns. I said, look, you hired me to teach. I'm here to teach. You want to sell guns, you put a guy in the back corner and tell him to be quiet till after class and he can sell guns. Uh, that's not me. I'm not a salesman. I like teaching. I like watching people learn. I've had 8-year-old and 12-year-old kids come to my class, and by day one, they're breaking clay pigeons at 1,000, and day two, some of them are even hitting the golf ball. Uh, yeah. In the rain. In the rain, which is awesome. Everybody's, oh, you can't shoot in the rain. Really? That's in my check. It works for me. So, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Well, man. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to share with anybody? No, man. It was just good hearing from you. It's been a while. I know we've been both really busy. I am constantly booking clients to come here. Uh, we got a TV show, Spiritual Ventral Outdoors, with Jimmy Sites. We're partnered with uh, Keith Warren from the High Road. Just came here, so I think he's going to be part of us. Uh, so we're we're really starting to bring bring clients in and. Uh, I teach literally four days a week, every week, all year round, and I do about maybe one week in class a month. So my wife has been really nagging at me to stop teaching so much. She said, you're retired. Act like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on. And, and again, for anybody listening, I would uh, I'd strongly encourage you, you know, if you're into shooting, I guarantee you, you will come out a – more knowledgeable and a better shot if you go to that school. And uh, but James, I really appreciate you coming on tonight. And we'll talk at you soon, man. I'll uh, I'm gonna try to get down there as soon as I can at some point when I when I slow down a little bit. All right, brother, appreciate it. All right, my man, we'll take care. Yes, sir. You have a great day. All right, you too. All right, everybody. That's the end of our show for tonight. We appreciate you tuning in. As always, we'll take any feedback that you have, and uh, we'll. See you again next Monday night. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you're not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. 
At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. Attention, all U.S. veterans. You have served this country with honor and pride. So why is it so difficult to receive the benefits you deserve? Filing a VA claim is complicated. It's cumbersome and time-consuming. Many veterans have a problem identifying what conditions they should apply for. VDAC, Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is an online application that greatly assists you with filling out your application and identifying the disabilities that you're entitled to. The VDAC process takes about 15 to 30 minutes from start to finish. The entire process is simple and easy to use. The software automatically cross-references the VA database to determine what presumptive conditions you are entitled to as well as any secondary conditions. Once done, a fully completed VA form is generated with supporting material. To find out more, go to nifv.org and click on the VDAC button. Again, the website is nifv.org and click on VDAC. CBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible.